Announcements, announcements, announcements. Terrible death to die. Terrible death to die. Terrible death, terrible death, terrible death to die. Did you ever sing that at camp? Nope. We sold our cow. Hey everyone, and welcome to Let's Pod This. My name is Andy Moore. I'm one of your hosts, and I'm joined, as I am every week, by my co-host, Scott Melson. Hello, Scott. What's up, man? How are you? I'm well. We've been gone for a few weeks. Thanks for hanging with us. Um, we're back now with what we are dubbing Season 2, although this is really just a continuous thing, right? Like, the world continues to turn. So thanks for um, being with us while we take a couple of weeks off to rest uh, to vacation, to plan. Scott and I spent several hours of the night planning yeah. out what we're going to do on the podcast from now through September. We are on top of our game. We really are. It feels it feels odd for us. It does feel odd. For one, we're finally not in the midst of a legislative session or special session. <sighs> when we started the podcast, we thought... Okay, we'll do this during session, and then in the off season we'll do all this other stuff, right? And then <laughs> just was continuous session for like a year and a half, right? We thought we thought session was going to be like three weeks, and I was like, nope, nope, we're going to go until May, right? Nonstop <laughs> next May, and not only are we going to go till May, but like like major things are going to be happening, right. yeah, like constantly, right? Yeah, and so we blew past all the interim studies and everything else because we just had to keep going, so. We're going to kind of give a rundown of what we're hoping to cover in just a minute. But first, I wanted to highlight three events that are coming up this month, uh, or yeah, this month in June. The first event, um, first thing you should know is that on June 1st, which is, well, tomorrow from the day we're recording this, and hopefully I can get this edited and out by then, so it may be too late. But regardless, June 1st is the deadline to register to vote if you want to vote in the primary election. Which, which is on Tuesday, June 26th. And you want to vote in the primary election. Oh, yes, okay? you do. Because here's the thing, right? If you don't vote on June 26th, and then you come talk to me in November, be like, well, Scott, I really want to vote, but I just really don't like any one of the candidates. I'm going to, th- the first thing I'm going to say is, well, who did you vote for in the primary? Mm-hmm. And then you're going to say, oh, I mean, I didn't really vote in the primary because I didn't think it was that important. I'm, I mean, I'm not going to say here what I'm going to tell you to do, <laughs> but like, no, you don't get to complain about the candidates that you have in November if you didn't play a role in selecting those candidates in the primary election. Right. So the deal with the primary is that it's when we choose the the person from each party, whatever party you're affiliated with or no party, you may get a vote in guiding who is on the ballot in November. And so this is the first opportunity to cast a ballot towards that. And it's really important, particularly for races where there's only one party of candidates that are running. So in Oklahoma, for example, if there are two or three or four Republicans running but no Democrats, that race will be decided very likely in this primary, and that's it. Not very likely. In fact. Well, in fact. I mean, there could be a runoff if well, no one sure. candidate gets 51%. But regardless, now it sucks because members of the other party or of no party don't get a say in that. Only registered Republicans would get a say in that True. example. But nonetheless... For all of our Republican listeners, you got to vote, man. Like, and ladies, you everyone's got to show up to vote. Yeah. Uh, as I say all the time, people are going to be elected, right? On June 26th, people are going to be elected. They're going to progress to the next stage of our electoral process, whether or not you vote. And so if you don't vote, you don't get a say in who yeah. that person is. Preach. There are some great candidates and there are some really god-awful candidates out there. And once they're in office... You can't just vote them out. You have to vote for somebody else. This is your chance. Pastor Andy, bring in the word. I see that hand. Okay, so um, so register to vote immediately if you haven't already. If you've moved, you need to update your thing. I get it. Just do it. Go online, ok.gov slash elections. Print off a voter registration. Mail it in. Whatever. Take it. As long as it's postmarked by the first, you'll be okay. And I will tell you, not just for this election, but for any election, if you're registering to vote, you print out the form, you fill it out, and but but you just don't have a stamp. You're a millennial. You don't know where to buy stamps because you never <laughs> sent mail. Like you know, if you just if that's kind of like if that's kind of the situation in which you find yourself, you can bring your form and you can put it in my hand. You can put it in Andy's hand. 
either one of us, we will mail it for you. Yeah, we're, or you could just take it to the state election board and turn it in. Fact. We're old millennials, so we know where to buy stamps. But if you're one of the younger ones, we've got you covered. Right. You can also go to a tag agency and they will mail it for you. Yes. That's also an option. But yeah, tweet at Scott or I and we'll come meet you. I'll come. Yeah, true story. You better hurry. I'm, my schedule is pretty open tomorrow, probably more than yours is. No, I'm free tomorrow afternoon. Really? Yeah. Well, I got an AC guy coming to the house at some point, but All other right. than that, I'm pretty open. Great. I'm free until 3. If you can cover after 3 p.m. tomorrow yeah. for those last two hours, deal. We done. can get this done. Okay. Great. I. Now I've really got to edit this tonight. Otherwise, it's going to be just it's a waste. Be a, it's going to be a If you're listening to it on Saturday, sorry, you missed out. <laughs> All right, so the other two events that I want to highlight. One is next Wednesday, June 6th. You you will hopefully be listening to this before then for sure. June 6th at 6 p.m. 6 6 at 6, which is ominous. Anyway, that is our Labor Commissioner debate at the Tower Theater. Um, this is for the Republican candidates for labor commissioner. And now I, I will address some criticism right away that, yes, this is just the Republican candidates because those are by far the most popular candidates for this race. Yeah, yeah. We invited the Democrat candidates to come as well, but one of them hasn't even filed a campaign um, yeah. committee. The other one's done very little. But hats off to those folks for running, right? Like, I'm not saying they won't win. I'm just saying... It's we not likely. <laughs> we only have so much time and effort and, and space, and we've got to kind of put it all in, put all of our eggs in one basket, and let's just call a spade a spade. It's very likely that one of these Republican candidates will will win the election, and this is the more hotly contested side of things. Yeah, and I would also I would throw out there too. I personally, and Andy, you throw you know toss your uh, your thoughts in here. I personally find intra-party debates like this way more interesting really yeah because you know i mean you can compare apples to apples a little bit better right like i mean a labor labor commissioner is and we're going to talk about this i think in a minute but like labor commissioner is a little bit it's kind of one of the more esoteric offices right like i think if you ask kind of a if we did a man or woman on the street interview and said what does the governor do or what does the president do i think most people could answer that if you ask kind of the average Joe or Josephine on the street. Like, what does the labor commissioner do? They may not have an answer. So um, I kind of, but, but putting that aside, when you take candidates of the same party and ask them the set of the same set of questions, I think it does. It kind of throws their differences into a little bit more like into a little bit sharper relief mm-hmm. as opposed to taking a Democrat and Republican, particularly in a big office like governor or president you know, you ask what you think about healthcare, what you think about you know, Medicare, what you think about Social Security, what you think about taxes. I think, you know, a person who's fairly, you know, who follows politics a lot can probably predict at least the contours of those answers. Mm-hmm. Whereas when you have three, four, five, six members of the same party, it kind of forces them to define either A, how do they differ from the party ethos, mm-hmm. or B, kind of delineate what they think the party ethos should be. Right. Does right. that make sense? Yeah. So so while I absolutely hear and accept and acknowledge criticism from folks that say that this should have been a debate among all the candidates, the fact that it's a debate among just one party, to me, as just kind of a, a, a political junkie who finds this interesting, to me, that makes for a more interesting debate. Right. And just like in national politics, um, you know, presidential debates they invite the candidates that are like highest in polling. They don't invite right. all the candidates because there's always a ton. Right. And you just got to gotta kind of maximize your resources. Right. So, like you or I could file to run for president in 2020, right? Like we could. Like we could file the papers and say and right. be a president of the United States to, to run for president of the United States. We're not going to get invited to any of the debates. Right. Man, that'd be cool, though, just uh, to too. show up. Right. Um, we can't do any worse than some of the people that are up there, so... Uh, so yes, so we are doing the debate, um, and there are three candidates out there, uh, and we are looking forward to hearing from each of them as we move forward um, in this kind of election process. So June sixth at six p.m. at the Tower Theater on Twenty Third Street and Walker Ish. It's free event. Please come. There'll be drinks for sale. Great venue, by the way. It's a great venue, venue. yes. Um, They are one of the sponsors. um, We have great sponsors, great supporters, great hosts. If 
and we would love to pack it out. And we found out that Facebook is cracking down on how you promote posts. Mm-hmm. You have to like upload your ID and all kinds of stuff now in order to get a boosted post. So if you're listening to this and you're coming, please invite your friends and, and share the event on Facebook. 100%. It's going to take five days for us to get the letter from Facebook with the special code so we can prove that we're Americans and not Russian bots. Which means... Which is an important distinction. Which is good. That just means in the interim, we really need some help from all of you that know that we're not Russian bots. Um, Are you no Russian, Andy? That's... I'm I'm not. I'm no Russian. I was born in Texas, actually. I have never met the president. (laughs) That's what they all say. (laughs) Uh, So what I uh, also want to say is that if you don't know what the labor commissioner does, then you should definitely come. 100%. That's the first... uh, Yep section of questions so all right so we're gonna do that's on june 6th at 6 p.m as we've said and then finally um if you're interested i'm just tossing this out on a whim for my personal edification on june 11th which is the following monday so two weeks or so uh, i'm speaking out in yukon to the uh, canadian county democrats no you don't have to be a democrat to come they just invited me we've been trying to nail down a date for a few months and really what we're gonna be talking about is how to be involved, how to be an advocate, regardless of your party affiliation. Uh, how do you get involved and, and why is this important? And that's that's where we're at. That's what Let's Fix This is all about. That's one of my passions. And so I'm going to retool a, a speech that I've given before, or a presentation, to make it a little more exciting, a little more honed for this audience. would love to see you there. Let's pack it out. I'm sure they'd be excited just to pack it out. So seating is first come, first serve. Um, it's a free meeting from 7 o'clock to 8.30 p.m. at the Yukon Police Department. The address is 100 South Ranchwood Avenue. I used to live right by there a few years ago. Can I just say, I love that you have speeches that you can retool. I've got a slide deck. That's, that's awesome. I think it's called How to Change the World in like eight slides. That's awesome. I'm working on the whole thing. But, <laughs> um, but really, uh, it's all about... Regular folks getting involved, because that's what we're all about here at Let's Fix This. So, love to see you then, June 11th, uh, at the Yukon Police Department. All right. Now, Scott, I'm going to toss it over to you to let us know what we're going to cover today in this episode. Yeah, so, you know, we're we're going to kind of, this is the kick the kickoff episode of essentially what, you know, we're kind of, between the two of us at least, calling season two. We don't really have seasons here but we've been on a break we're kind of looking ahead to election season and the 58th legislature of the state of oklahoma Ooh. so no 57th I thought, was this we just finished 56 yeah you're right 57th so this is kind of the the second you know iteration of the podcast so we thought we would one kind of outline you know what we have planned for you guys for the next several months what you know we're kind of going to kind of walk through talk a little bit about upcoming elections a little bit about the news you know we've been off really for the last 2 3 weeks talk a little bit about what's come out there have been there have been some developments that are worth keeping track of mm-hmm. um, and then i think that will be mostly it and we will pick up next week with a recap of the labor commissioner debate um, along with kind of our regular, you know, news recap and what's going on. Mm-hmm. Does that sound reasonable? Yes, sir. That sounds terrific. To you? What's so, after that? After a labor commissioner debate? Yes. We will also be... <laughs> so, uh, kind of in terms of topics that we're going to tackle, we've got the labor commissioner debate next week. The week after that, uh, our main topic is going to be partisanship, like what partisanship is and nuances of voting behavior. We're going to, the week of June 18th, our goal is to have a panel with us and talk about the marijuana legislation that'll be on the ballot June 26th and what potential passage of medical marijuana for the state of Oklahoma looks like. June 25th, the last episode of this month, will be really dedicated almost entirely to the election results. That'll be the week that we have uh, primary elections. The elections are on June 26th. So our episode on the week of June 25th will be what happened, what are the results, particularly interesting races, the marijuana, medical marijuana state question, um, what that means or doesn't mean for upcoming sessions of the legislature. And that really gets us through June. You know, looking ahead uh, throughout July, August, and September, we're going to talk a little bit more about what 
you know, the the legislature did in this past session with a particular focus on criminal justice reform. Um, you know, criminal justice reform has been something that, um, I mean, really dozens of members of the legislature have put a lot of time and effort into for the last two sessions. Um, and it saw, you know, significant progress this year. Mm-hmm. Um, I think that there are many folks on both sides of the aisle who would say that we still have a way to go. But I think that almost universally, people would acknowledge we made some significant progress. So we're going to have at least one episode that really delves into that. And then moving forward, we're going to take a lot of time. Uh, and hopefully you guys find this interesting. If you don't, please let us know on Twitter so we can adjust our plans. But um, we're going to spend a lot of time delving into how does the government in Oklahoma work, right? We're going to start with the governor and kind of work our way down. What do statewide elected officers do? Like, what does the governor do? What does the lieutenant governor do? What does the secretary of agriculture do? What does the attorney general do? How about the state superintendent for education? How about the labor commissioner? How about county commissioners? You know, we're going to kind of just start at the top and just work our way through the statewide elected officials and talk about what their constitutional responsibilities are, what the practical day-to-day responsibilities are, how they interact with voters, how they interact with the legislature. Do they report to, you know, you know, an interesting question is, does an elected position like the labor commissioner, for instance, does the labor commissioner report to the governor or does the labor commissioner report really to the people of Oklahoma? Mm-hmm. Because it's an independently elected statewide office. So who's kind of the labor commissioner's boss? Um, And there are several offices like that. As we delve into that, um, we're going to try and keep it at, you know, hopefully a pretty high level, an interesting level. But one of the things that's interesting about Oklahoma government is that a lot of the the functions and kind of day-to-day operations are delegated to boards and committees of that are that are made up of folks that are appointed by different elected officials, sometimes mm-hmm. the governor, sometimes the speaker of the house, sometimes the pro tem of the Senate, sometimes a combination of people. And so when we talk about these different areas of government, we'll talk not only about who the kind of elected officials are that are in charge, but who were the unelected and appointed officials that are maybe kind of running things on the ground. So that will be a big part of what we're looking at really up through the end of September. That's going to kind of take us kind of in the prime, you know, the, the middle of election season. Um, uh, in September, we'll be looking really ahead to the uh, 2018 midterms that are taking place nationally, as well as the elections that will be happening here locally in November. That's right. And start looking at interim studies and what happens yep. in the 57th legislature come next February. Oh, my God. When you say it like that, it sounds like it's tomorrow. And that makes right. me... No, have, it's not tomorrow. We've got some me, time. That We've makes me have... Time. I have a little bit of a stroke when you say that. <laughs> so A little bit of a stroke. Yeah. So, it's like being a little bit pregnant, isn't it? Um, you can have a mini stroke, I suppose. Yeah, you can. There, you know, I think pregnancy is pregnancy, but I mean, there are strokes of varying degrees and sizes. Uh, so a small one. Not a big one, just a small one. You're the physician. I'll I'll defer to you. <laughs> so, All right. So are we going to talk about what's gone on since we last met? Uh, yeah, you know, and we're, you know, we're not going to spend a whole lot of time on this, um, just because, I mean, if we really wanted to go kind of in the, in the weeds and in the details, which would be a three hour podcast. And we, we try hard not to do that, although sometimes it's tempting. Um, but there, there have been, there have been some issues that, uh, have been making a lot of news. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, I think, so um, she vetoed a bunch of stuff. She did. So governor Fountain, and I'll tell you, I was, I was, I think shocked would be a little bit too strong, but I was definitely surprised at this. So uh, I think you guys, if you've been listening to the pod at all, you remember we spent a lot of time on Senate Bill 1212, which is the so-called constitutional carry bill. So this is a bill that basically said anyone can buy a gun and carry it anywhere that is you know permitted mm-hmm. without a license or training. That's the constitutional carry bill that was carried by Representative Cootie. Um, there were kind of some shenanigans to get it passed. It got passed. Uh, Governor Fallon waited until a Friday. And <laughs> at a Friday at about 4.30, uh, it was announced that she had vetoed constitutional carry, much to the consternation of several members of the legislature who had supported the bill uh, and uh, outcry from the NRA. So that that was, again, you know, I... 
Governor Fallon has vetoed some gun bills in the past, so this wasn't uh, this wasn't unprecedented in that sense. But I think that you know, if if I was a betting man, I probably would have said odds were about ninety ten that she would sign it, uh, and she went with the ten and decided that you know this was not the best law for Oklahoma. Right. So a theory that I've heard is that she vetoed this kind of as a this was always the plan that maybe she was always going to veto it, especially because the business community did not like this. The law enforcement community did not like oh, they hated this, it. but this allows those legislators like representative Cootie to vote for it. So they, the deal is they voted for a tax increase, which is bad if you're yeah. a Republican. So now they've got to like compensate, that, right? Yeah. Compensate by voting for a second amendment expansion right related bill and that kind of helps even out things in the eyes of hardcore conservative primary voters and she can veto it and not be and she can be the bad guy because she's not running for anything because she's a lame duck right yeah Yeah. Um, and so that's the uh tinfoil conspiracy theory i've heard i don't think that's very conspiratorial at all i mean i think that makes that makes complete sense um um, now, I also, full disclosure, if you, if you listen to the pod, this is not going to be a surprise. I also thought it was a terrible bill. Um, but, you know, when you look at kind of ex-governors and what they tend to do when they leave office, um, a lot of the people that might, uh, and, I, you know, I have no inside information. This is speculative. But a lot of the people that might be paying Governor Fallon's salary when she leaves office are people that would have opposed this bill. Right? Mm. Like... CEOs of major companies that are headquartered here that are interested in attracting, you know, young, well-educated talent to the state of Oklahoma. And that becomes harder when you have gun laws that are, or any laws, but especially gun laws that are viewed, at least by certain segments of the population, as being kind of outside the mainstream. So... Uh, I think that you can make a case that not only does Governor Fallon have nothing to lose politically by vetoing the bill, she potentially kind of protects her reputation for people that might have a spot for her on a corporate board or something when she's when she's out of office. Right. Right. So I think this was a little surprising to lots of folks. Then when she paused and thought more about it, you're like, man, not that surprising. Yeah. Yeah. Here we are. Yeah. All right, so maybe the next thing is um, let's talk about the health department debacle. Uh, so there was oh Jesus, <laughs> yes, let's Jesus take the wheel or or, or someone, someone right. at least someone, someone right? Take the wheel, deity take the wheel, deity, deity of your choice take, take the wheel. wheel. <laughs> if you uh... all right, so yeah, a couple of weeks ago um, there was a um, somewhat sudden press conference held by Attorney General Mike Hunter and State Auditor and Inspector General Gary Jones, both of whom are running for office. Everyone wants in front of a camera during election year, right? Like, let's get Truth. up there. Hey, Truth. I got something to say. I was Truth. I wasn't I was involved in this. Free coverage. Hello. Hello, I'm the auditor. I'm the I'm the Attorney General. That's not really an impression of either one of them. And this was legitimate. It was just funny they both showed up. So the press conference was to release the grand jury um, decisions and ruling following a, the grand jury investigation into the health department debacle where they misspent money. And the so the bottom line, if you I haven't finished reading the full grand jury report, it's like 80 pages, but the bottom line is their accounting system is terrible. And it's so complicated and antiquated that no one there including even the commissioner, the top dogs, it's likely that no one knew exactly how much money they had, where it was being stored or saved. And it's been complicated like this for 30 years. Yeah. You know, so for those those that have maybe not listened to our episode that kind of focuses on the health department, that I don't remember the number, but we we recorded it like in early December, late November, somewhere in there. it's the the health department came up, you know, and at the end of 2017, 
the health department was in shambles. They approached the legislature. Well, they didn't approach the legislature. They basically said, hey, we need $30 million in the next two weeks. And if we don't get it, we can't make payroll. Right. right? So the legislature made an emergency appropriation, gave them the 30 million bucks. There were still like 200 people that were laid off. Uh, there's been a big investigation. You know, the investigation initially, it kind of initially had said that the health department was essentially playing shell games with money that they were inadequately funded to carry out their mission at the state level. And so they were using federally granted funds to pay for services that were outside of the scope of the grant for which they were awarded. All right. So they're taking money that the feds had given them for one purpose, and then they were using it for another purpose here at the state level and kind of shuffling that money around to maintain all of their services. The money ran out. There were 30 million short. And that's when this whole kind of catastrophe happened at like the end of October of 2017. Mm -hmm. So the grand jury comes out a couple weeks ago and says, so after looking at this, we have determined several things. One, there was never actually a financial crisis. They actually had all the money that they needed. Two, there was a slush fund, and that's the grand jury's words, not mine. There, there was a slush fund that had all this money in it that was used to pay for these expenses, but no one was really aware of how much money was in the slush fund or where it came from. And three, and this was the thing that was most kind of mind-boggling to me, is that no one in leadership of the health department committed a crime. Like, right. they, did, they determined that there was an incredible level of financial mismanagement and malfeasance and incompetence and incompetence. That was the AG's actual word was incompetence. None of which is prohibited by law. It's not illegal to be stupid. Right. And, and I say that because like, again, and I'm not here, I don't know any of the people that were in leadership at the health department. I'm not sitting here. Like as we record this thinking, man, I don't like that guy. He should be in jail, but it is a little bit like, what? <laughs> like, how are there? What? <laughs> like, you've misused the public funds to this to the like to the tune that there was a there was a thirty million dollars shortfall that wasn't even real, and like, it's just because people were dumb. Well, so and I mean, probably dumb and stupid that we've used is not quite the right term. Uh-huh. I mean, yes, but that's true. The so this it's like I don't have a good analogy, but. It was the system is so complicated. Well, first of all, there are two accounting systems that they use. There's the, which is a problem by itself, right? So that's a huge problem. That's and they account, they use them differently, right? So let's say you're measuring temperature in Fahrenheit and Celsius. You're measuring the same thing, but in different ways, kind of. Yeah. yeah. Um, and then, if you really understand one system and and or there are certain staff that use one system and certain staff that use another system. Well, they don't talk to each other because they use different systems. And so according to each of them, things might be okay. And they don't have the full picture. And that's the problem is that there was, there was no one there. This, there was no one there that understood finances the way they needed to. And there's, hasn't been someone there that understood finances in a, in a functional way for a very, very long time. Yeah, yeah. So this was probably set up, I mean, as they said, like 30 years ago, and it was bad from the get-go, and it just got worse over time, but no one was there to really fix it. And and it's hard to attract a chief financial officer for the salaries they're paying when you've got other private industries that are offering significantly more money for the same job in a, and can afford accounting systems that are more up-to-date, and so the job is easier right right and so what what you just said i think andy is really important and this is a pet peeve this is a pet peeve of mine and and i i think it should be a pet peeve of everyone's right you know um i think one of the debates that we hear about government and this is a soapbox that i've been on before on the podcast but that's fine because it's worth it's worth busting it out again you know we hear debates in government all the time about government should work more like business government should be more efficient there should be less waste you know i mean we hear that we heard the mantra over and over again this session we don't need to raise taxes there just needs to be less waste fraud and abuse fine but if you want people who aren't going to waste money who know how to not commit fraud, who aren't going to abuse their power, and who understand the nuances of accounting for an agency with a budget in the hundreds of millions of dollars, Mm -hmm. you can't pay them a fraction of the salary that they would get in the private sector, 
right? Mm-hmm. Like, I mean, and I'm making, I have no idea what the CFO of the health department makes, right? Like, I, I don't know. But I'm just saying. It's not, it's not yeah. nothing, but it's not commensurate with what, with the amount of responsibility right. they'd have. But let's just say, if you're a company, if you're a company in Oklahoma, and let's say that you have gross, you know, not net, you have gross operating revenue of $500 million, okay? And let's say that the CFO of a company with a gross operating revenue of $500 million makes, uh, I don't know, $200,000 a year plus bonuses. Is that, I mean, do you feel like that's a reasonable number? It's way less than that. Say it again. If you've got a company that makes a company with gross like operating revenue mm-hmm. of 500 million. Yeah. The CFO makes 200,000 a year. Yeah, that's fair. Okay, that's fair. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Right? So in approximate round numbers, sure. Right. Like and, I, and I'm not I'm just like throwing that out there as I'm well, then to me a salary that is competitive with that is what the health department of the state of Oklahoma should be offering for the CFO position, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But but we don't do it because there's this argument that, oh, well, it's a government job, so it should pay less or it needs to pay less because, you know, we're trying to save money and be efficient. But if the market, if the market has said that the salary for a CFO of a company or an agency with a budget of 500 million bucks is 200,000, why shouldn't the government match at least the market rate? Right. Well, and that's... That's an ongoing debate, right? Right. But it's frustrating to me that we hear, well, waste, fraud, abuse, incompetence. Well, what do you expect when you pay a fraction of what these people can make in the private sector? You get what you pay for. It's just, it's frustrating to me because people are talking about the incompetence of the health department and they're not wrong. But like you said, you get, you get what you pay for. Mm -hmm. If we want to attract the best talent to run these agencies, then we need to be offering salaries and benefits that are competitive with good private sector jobs. Mm-hmm. Right. I mm-hmm. mean, like, you know, I get that government service is a sacrifice in many ways. Um, but if, I mean, you know, to take a salary that's four or five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten 10 times less than what you would make in the private sector. I mean, that's pretty, that's a pretty big, that's a pretty big sacri- pretty big sacrifice. Yeah. I mean, there's a lot of folks that just won't do it. Right. And, and including, I mean, they've lost some staff there. We've seen staff at DHS leave this past couple of weeks saying, this job is too hard. This is the hardest job I've ever had. It's too much money. I'm not going to stick around. So so anyway, uh, we'll post on the blog tomorrow. There's a couple. There's been some great articles uh, by our intrepid local journalists about the uh, health department uh, situation. Meg uh, Weingartner, right? Meg yep. Weingartner. Mm-hmm. I always mispronounce her last name. I'm like, Wing, Winger. Winger. Anyway, Meg from News OK uh, has a great article looking at the health department that everybody should check out. Yeah. So. It is. It's difficult. And for my friends that still work at the health department, I mean, they are definitely facing some increased scrutiny. And, and you said this earlier. Maybe the, the most painful piece of this is that around 200 health department employees lost their jobs. They were let go. Um, because they thought there wasn't enough money. So it turns out there was enough money. So they'd lost their jobs unnecessarily. Um, and they're suing, by the way. Oh. Yeah. That's the plan. Like, there's a plan for like all 200. They're going to sue the health department and say, we shouldn't have, like, you, you didn't, you fired us because there wasn't money to pay us. But there was. You forgot where it was. Yeah. Yeah. So it's, I mean, it seems a little suspicious that there wasn't, some kind of malfeasance there, but you know, whatever. And the fact that they had the money hidden in an account that was labeled to be a like restricted federal funding account um, seems suspicious, but it really just might be that they put it that way and, and no one was paying enough yeah. attention. People yeah. just weren't, you just letting it go. Oh, it's fine. It's fine. It's fine. And it's not fine. So yeah. All right. Let's move on from the health department. Um, a couple of things I want to highlight real quick. These are not on our list. So I'm jumping ahead. One is that the, uh, the legislature has uh, requested documents, emails, other documents re- from the the Ethics Commission. They some of the uh, leadership, uh, pro tem Mike Schultz and and uh, Anthony Sykes, Senator Anthony Sykes, are trying to get information, emails, contracts, other records from the Ethics Commission and regarding funding. The whole deal is the Ethics Commission 
is has voted to sue the legislature because they did not get properly funded this year. And so the legislature is looking into the ethics commission. And this is one of those situations that we've brought up before that so far we don't have any information. It's so it's well, it's not nothing, but it's it the optics are just bad. The legislature who is, has exempted themselves from open records is looking into the ethics commission um, to <laughs> to find out like well why are you looking into us? It's it's like a spy versus spy kind of thing. Like, I, you know, our stuff isn't isn't public record, but yours is, and so we want copies of it. And but theirs is about looking into the legislature to find um, ethics violations. And so the ethics commission is expected to ask the state supreme court to find legislators in violation of the state constitution. Uh, not to mention that the legislature, in their last weeks of session, the last two weeks of session, voted not to accept the rules mm-hmm. handed down by this, that same ethics commission with regard to what legislators can do when they're done. And what's just like, and again, I'm not going to name names because I'm not here to like cast aspersions, but the, the ethics commission had recommended that there be a cooling off period between the time someone leaves public office and when they can register and work as a lobbyist. And there were several legislators who are retiring this year that were like, well, no, I'm I'm not going to accept that rule. I'm not going to vote in favor of that rule because I'm already planning to be back here as a lobbyist next, <laughs> next session. session right. Like, I already have my gig as a lobbyist lined up. Right. So, no to you, Ethics Commission, and your recommendations and your rules. Like, and, you know, a lot, like, lobbyists get a bad rap. And if you've listened to the podcast at all, hopefully you know that we don't look at lobbyists as a group as, like, they're not evil people. They actually serve a valuable purpose. But... Um, I don't think the idea that you shouldn't go straight from legislating to lobbying, like I don't, I don't think that idea is just ridiculous at its face. Um, and it just, it's, it's just like, kind of like you said, the optics are just like, are you kidding? And now you're gonna like get into a lawsuit with the same ethics commission whose rules mm-hmm. you just said you weren't gonna, accept, you weren't gonna accept. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So the other thing is that the 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 ethics commission, which has a staff of seven people who are charged with looking into this. Uh, So their budget request was for like $1.2 million to establish an open government department. Hey, open government. What a novel idea. Maybe we need more of that. So they asked for $1.2 million to do that. And the legislature instead gave them no money from general appropriations and basically told them they had to use this like $700,000 from a fund that is made up of fees collected from lobbyists, candidates, political parties, and, and PACs. And so it's like, uh, okay, you don't get any general money. You get these fees from these people over here that we don't really like. That's half of what you need. And this is one of the things that it, the face value is the legislature does not, it appears that the legislature does not want to fund the Ethics Commission because the Ethics Commission is charged with looking into the legislature, right? Yes, sir. You don't, people, it's like, It'd be like if you and I, not that we do anything wrong, so this is a bad example, but people not wanting to fund the FBI to look into other things. Like, well, yeah. we don't want to fund them. They look into yeah. us. Yeah. Um, I, I mean, I get it, but also, like, don't be dumb, guys. Like, let's, there's probably some nuances I'm not aware of, but just at face value, doesn't look good. Um, the other thing as a uh, update on, so we've got state question 788. That will be on the ballot in June. That's the medical marijuana question. That's a yes/no thing. That's a big, big deal for our state. We're going to talk about that a lot more in the next month. But also, not to forget, there is a state question 793 or a campaign for state question 793. This is not yet on the ballot, but this they just submitted their signatures, so it looks like it's continuing to head down the road towards the ballot, uh, or towards a ballot. Is it? State question 793 would amend the Constitution um, because right now the Constitution prevents optometrists, so like eye doctors, from opening practices in, quote, commercial settings, and they can't sell glasses unless that's most of what they do. So this prevents places like Walmart and Target from having optical marts inside their stores. Now, growing up in Texas... For a long time, my optometrist was in Walmart. It was super convenient. I had no problems with it. That was my experience. Uh, and so this group 
again, this is one of those things that's weird that's in our constitution in the first place. Like, why did we forbid retailers from selling glasses and doing eye care? And so this would amend that to allow that. Uh, and so they they turned in, they needed 124,000 signatures. They got 250,000 signatures. Overwhelmingly supported. The proponents would say this is going to improve access to eye care, which is a legitimate need in Oklahoma. Yeah. Um, and I'm, I, I assume, I haven't really read it, but I guess opponents are saying that the, and they don't want, they don't want Walmart selling glasses. Do you know anything about this? You know, I don't, I don't know much about it. I mean, I would say yes, in terms of in favor of it. Yeah. It'll improve access to eye care provided that all those optometrists are going to be located in target Walmart, other big kind of big box retailers. Yeah. If they'll accept Medicaid, it'll improve access to, Mm -hmm. to eye care. If they don't accept Medicaid, I don't know that it will really do that much in terms of improving access. Like, but uh, it, you know, I can see in like a rural area where there, there is a small Walmart that for an optometrist to have an office, he's got to find a place, pay rent, all that stuff. Sure. If it's somehow affiliated with Walmart, they might offset some of that cost. Sure. Yeah. And that, and that makes sense. I just like in my, in my experience, the biggest barrier to people getting kind of like the eye care that they need is... You Money. Know, yeah, trying to find a trying to find a provider. So if they'll find a provider, you know, if the providers will accept whatever form of insurance they have, whether it's you know private or public, then great. If they don't, then you know, outside of kind of that rural setting, like you're mentioning, I don't know how much difference it will make in terms of in terms of access. I don't I don't honestly have strong feelings on it one way or the other. I don't right. I don't know enough about it. But that's just kind of my face value. Yeah, I mean, you wear glasses. I wear glasses. We both have eye doctors yeah. that we go to. I've been going to the yep. same guy since 1999. Yep. He is my oldest friend now. <laughs> right. We don't we don't hang out, but he was like, man, you've been coming for a long time. I was like, I know. I see you once a year-ish. 1999, you're, you're a young one. I got glasses in the third grade. I did too. I be, but I moved here in 99, uh, so I didn't see him. Yeah. Uh, and so I, I'm not going to leave him to go to an do- eye doctor at Walmart you know, unless I, he goes. Right. And then I would. I'm I'm kind of one of the the weird guy. Like you know, I've people have asked me because I wear glasses every day. I have contacts that I wear at times, but I usually wear my glasses every mm-hmm. day. Um, people have asked me like, have you ever thought about like LASIK or whatever? Every day, yeah, every day I think about it. You know what's funny? I have no desire. Really? Yeah, because it's weird. I don't know. I don't know why. And it's not like I would consider. I don't giving up a kidney. See for LASIK. I don't think it, like I'm. I'm not like it's not a that I think I look. Um, you know, when I look in the mirror, it's not that I think I look better or worse in glasses or contacts. Mm-hmm. It's just that I think I got glasses when I, I, I got glasses when I was young enough. Mm-hmm. And I didn't start wearing contacts until I think eighth or ninth grade. Maybe mm-hmm. I think it was ninth grade, maybe mm-hmm. the summer in between. Like wearing glasses is like a part of my like identity. You know Did what I mean? It's weird, like it's 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 bizarre. Like I get because my vision is bad. Like Ashley will tell you, my wife will tell you. Like if I like you know if I like am flailing around in the morning when my alarm goes off and I like reach over to like you know I would say smack the alarm, but I use my phone like everybody else. I don't have a clock radio, <laughs> but I like reach over to find my phone and turn my alarm off, and I like knock my glasses onto the floor. Mm-hmm. Ashley has to like help me find <laughs> my glasses because I can't see. Yeah. Without them. Yeah. So it's a hugely, like, I'm, like, my vision is terrible without glasses or contacts. But despite that, I, like, refuse to even think about, like, LASIK or other corrective surgery because to, like, never wear glasses again. I, I like, I kind of feel naked when I walk around without glasses on. It's That's weird. interesting. So, same thing. I got glasses in third grade. I have, um, they're fine. I think I look nice. I look smarter in them. But I just can't wear them they i i got contacts in ninth grade changed my life um i could play football better i could play soccer better glasses just in the way so now i'm the opposite of you i only wear glasses like from the bedroom or from the bathroom to the bed at night like it's like it's 20 feet that's so interesting every now and then i'm like you know i want to wear my glasses to work today and i get to my car and i'm like no i'll go back inside (laughs) and change like everything just the world feels weird like the like to me the rate limiting factor of glasses versus contacts is if i'm going to be outside all day and i want to wear sunglasses yeah then i wear contacts but that's literally 
Like that's the only circumstance. Like if we're going on a road trip and I'm gonna be, gonna be driving all day mm-hmm. and I want sunglasses, yeah, I'll wear my contacts. But that's like the only time. Oh, other, so other much than better. That, I wear glasses exclusively. I feel like glasses are so limiting to my. Um, and I'm not like a super athletic guy, but I just feel like they're just in the way all the time. That's funny. Anyway, but anyway, to each their the, own. Uh, that's Great. the that's the uh, optometry state question. That's the eyeglasses section of the podcast for today. Um, so I think we are about done. Um, a couple things. There is, you mentioned the uh, marijuana mm-hmm. state question. Um, we're going to talk about it a lot, but one thing to kind of keep on your radar, um, I know Andy and I are keeping it on our radar, mostly out of like panic and sleepless nights and bad dreams. Um, there is the very real possibility that if medical marijuana passes, the Oklahoma State Legislature will return for a third special mm, session. Indeed. Um, to, as we've kind of discussed in a couple episodes ago, um, if the state question passes, Oklahoma will have the most permissive medical marijuana law in the state. Um, it is widely accepted that the legislature would return to kind of put in place a more stringent regulatory framework for medical marijuana. I think many people in the healthcare professions would agree that that would be necessary. I'm not trying to speak for all doctors. I'm just saying that's kind of what I what I hear. Um, if that were to happen, Senator Nathan Dom, who is a Republican from, I'm blanking on where is Senator Dom from? I don't know. He's uh, Senator Dom. We'll we'll look up where he's from, but. Uh, Senator Dom is proposing that if they have to come back for a third special session to do marijuana regulation, that they should revisit some of these other issues that Governor Fallon, like on bills that Governor Fallon has vetoed. Not just this session, but any issue that she has vetoed during her tenure in office. Now, for those playing the home game, you know that special sessions are limited to dealing with issues that are within their call, right? So when a special session is called by the governor or by the legislature itself, they have to say, we're convening a special session to do this, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So if they were to have a special session to deal with medical marijuana regulation, that would not include dealing with issues like constitutional carry. But Senator Dom is suggesting that if they're going to be in special session, a third special session anyway, to deal with medical marijuana, they should self-convene into a separate but concurrent fourth special session to revisit her vetoes on constitutional carry and a host of other issues. Would this be... Oh, that would be the fourth. That would be the fourth, yeah. So the third would be medical marijuana, fourth would be everything else. Yeah, so they would come into special session, presumably at the call of the governor or the legislature itself, to deal with medical marijuana, but while in third special session, they would hold a separate vote, convening themselves into a separate fourth special session to revisit issues where they've passed bills and the governor has vetoed. Senator Dom is currently collecting signatures to see who all would be in support of this. Uh, the last time I looked, he had 28, which is, you know, not zero, but not enough. So we'll keep an eye on how many special sessions the legislature might be up to for the rest of the year. The last thing we were going to kind of update on, um, the uh, Oklahoma Taxpayers Unite, which is the group led by Senator, former U.S. Senator Tom Coburn, um, is still in the process of collecting signatures to try and put a uh, veto referendum on the November ballot that would overturn the taxes that were raised in this most recent session of the legislature to pay for increased uh, classroom funding for education, as well as to pay for teacher pay raises. Um, the kind of update there is that the Oklahoma Education Association and the uh, Oklahoma uh, Public Educators of Oklahoma, right? Yes. Public Educators of Oklahoma have both filed legal challenges to Tom to to Senator Coburn's standing, basically saying, actually that's not true. I'm not I'm not a lawyer, so I'm getting confused. They've not filed challenges based on standing. They've basically said that the legislature passed these issues because there's like a clear and present danger to the welfare of the state of Oklahoma. And our constitution says that if the legislature passes bills that are kind of necessary for the security and the safety of the public, I think is the exact words that if a bill is necessary for the security and safety of the public, it's not subject 
to the veto referendum on the ballot. Right. The Supreme Court in Oklahoma has fast-tracked those challenges, and I think arguments are set to be heard not next week, but the week after. I think that's correct, yes. So we will keep you updated on kind of the latest of whether or not Senator Coburn's challenges, uh, one, how they're doing in terms of, you know, signatures and getting on the ballot, and two, what arguments are made before the Supreme Court and what the Supreme Court rules in terms of whether those challenges are allowed to proceed. Right. Exciting times to be alive in Oklahoma politics. Yes. Lastly, on a lighter note, this week's edition of Pruitt Watch. Oh, Everyone knows my favorite segment, Pruitt Watch. Check out the article uh, by uh, uh, Trace Savage, uh, William W. Savage III, right? Mm-hmm. On non-doc, Oklahoma's hence, on doc. Hence the trace. Yes, the trace. Uh, by Mr. Savage on non-doc this week, discussing the EPA's um, denial of access of a public of, to a public event for an AP reporter. And what that says about Administrator Pruitt's just kind of ethos towards the press in general. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. It's it's worth your time. Also, check out the NPR Embedded podcast series. There is an episode about Scott Pruitt that is fascinating. It goes back to when Pruitt was, to the very beginning, like his very first client as an attorney, goes back to before he was attorney general in Oklahoma, um, features uh, Oklahoma Joe Wirtz from the uh, State Impact Oklahoma, some really great um, insight. They go and visit with this woman. Fascinating story about Scott Pruitt's rise to power. So many weird and bizarre stops along the way. Yeah, true story. All right, so... I think that wraps us up for this week, right? I think so. That brings us to the end of this episode. Remember, next week on June 6th is our Labor Commissioner debate at the Tower Theater. Um, Details about that are online at uh, facebook.com slash letsfixthisok. Also, you can just go straight to letsfixthisok.org slash events for all of our events coming up. We'll have some more we're going to be adding soon. Yeah. And, and, you know, I would say to all of you that are listening, you know, um, we, we are incredibly grateful to everyone that has listened to the podcast and who has given us, you know, really great um, and valuable feedback on things that we do well, things that we can improve. Um, I would just encourage you guys, I really hope you kind of stay with us here in the legislative offseason. You know, I hope we're a good resource for you to know kind of what's happening at 23rd and Lincoln you know, what it means, how it impacts you, and what you can do to kind of influence what's happening at the legislature. But I also hope that you know that there's a lot that happens even when they're not in session. It's true. There's there's a lot going on. And, and there are there's a really good case to make that in terms of advocacy, these next, you know, six to eight months when they are, you know, knock on wood, not in session is some of the most valuable time Mm-hmm. that you can spend in engaging with your legislators and engaging in advocacy, particularly when most of them are running for re-election or when some people are running for the first time. So I hope that you guys really you know, stay tuned over the next several months and I hope you join us here every week. We are, I think we've got some really great guests in mind. That's right. More than just Scott and I. Yeah. Like we've Good got people. Some, some really, <laughs> some really, some really awesome people that are going to be on with us that are going to kind of talk about what different, um, you know, what different offices and state government, kind of what their responsibilities are, you know, people that have held a certain office, what they, what they did, people that are running for office, what they're going to mm-hmm. do. Mm-hmm. Um, I, you know, I, I can't speak for both of us, Andy, Andy, cause I haven't asked you this specific question, but I mean, I'm honestly, I think I'm more excited for kind of the next four to six months of the pod than I was kind of looking forward to kind of the regular session and just kind of covering what's happening at the legislature. Well, hell yeah. I mean, a lot of it's we just need a break from the like the day to day like drab of the Capitol. But this is the reason that Let's Fix This was founded, right? Like this stuff, this is the thing where we are educating and equipping regular folks, youth listeners, about how to get involved. This is the off-season. And just like in any sport, the off-season is where people get stronger. This is where teams are built. It's where, you know, people are traded also. But, like, this is how it happens. So that when the 
when the season starts come next February and they go back into session, boom, like you're ready, you're equipped, you're informed, you're educated, you're voting, you know who your newly elected state representative and senator are, and you were at their door, at their swearing-in service, which we will have an event for this fall, um, to meet them and to be like, hi, hello, I live in your district, I voted for you, or I voted against you, I voted for your opponent, but I want to know you and I want you to know me, and to just start that on day one, man, i tell you what, I'm excited. Y'all, this is Pastor Andy bringing the word twice in one episode. <laughs> I, this is the kind of stuff that fires me up. Dude, it's, I'm, I'm in with you. I'm like, you know, when we were, you mentioned that kind of at the top of the episode, we spent several hours kind of like talking through this and making plans and lining up guests and... I was like so like yeah jazzed and like psyched up at the end of that for I I'm I'm excited so I hope I just I say that I hope you guys don't think of the next several months as like oh, okay well we're gonna let the let pop this guys do a thing and I'll check in in January when the legislators back no 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 like this is it you want you this you want to camp you want to stick around for the next several months because it's gonna be it's gonna be I think a lot of fun hopefully really entertaining and I know this is the nerd in me. Most importantly, I think really educational for all of us. I guarantee people will get more information from this podcast and the associated blog posts um, than they've gotten the rest of the year because we have yes. a chance to really spend some time yes. in developing this. 100%. Scott and I are both committed to waste several Saturdays. Yes. Not waste, but spend <laughs> several Saturdays like sitting here recording podcasts, writing out scripts, and not just doing this shit by the, the seat of our pants. Right. I'll bleep that. All right. Don't believe that. Leave it in. <laughs> Leave it in. All right. Well, I'm not Nate Silver. I can't just curse willy-nilly. I well, think you can. They have been bleeping him more lately. Also, can I... A quick plug, since you mentioned Nate. Yeah. Um, I, I think probably most folks who listen to us know that you and I are both big fans of the uh, 538 Weekly mm-hmm. Politics Podcast. If you don't listen, you should. If you're a political junkie and you don't listen, you're not really a political junkie. Um, listen... Please. Well, that it's so that is my sole outlet for national politics. Everything else I do is state, local level, but I listen to them because they are data nerds. Yeah, yeah. And I and without so much of the slant. Well, there's no stuff. bullshit. I mean, right? Like, there's no bullshit. But I like ever if you don't if you don't listen to them regularly, if you don't want to subscribe, fine. Go and listen to both episodes that were posted mm, mm-hmm. this week. Mm-hmm. Um, so listen to listen to the kind of the main episode that came out on Monday and listen specifically to the episode that came out today talking about polls and how to interpret polling data yes. and why pollsters, like what makes a good pollster, what makes a bad pollster. And I say that because as we get into election season, particularly as we're talking about kind of local congressional races specifically but even you know even more kind of local races than that when there is polling data available which will probably be fairly sparse but when we talk about polling data it's important to understand how to take that in context how to interpret it mm-hmm. and how to know what it means and if you want a great primer on that listen to both episodes of the 538 politics podcast from this week yeah as an example there was a sooner poll poll that came out last week got lots of press and it was a it was a poll of likely voters and something like 80 percent of their likely voters were senior citizens and so it was one of the things where like they could be correct based on polling history but they might have missed it by a large margin yep and so um in fact i was i was tweeting about it from my personal account and Pat McFerrin, who is a bit of a pollster and a political guru in Oklahoma, said that if that he will eat his hat if senior citizens compo- comprise less than 38% of those who vote in the primary election. You better believe I'm watching this closely. I will salt and pepper a hat for Pat if this if if less than 38% are senior citizens. Hey millennials Challenge accepted. Show up and vote. Challenge accepted. This That's all I'm saying. You, what happens if you don't vote? You get Brexit. You wake up one day and your country has left the European Union. Yep. That's that's the kind of thing that happens when, when younger people don't vote. Yep. Millennials comprise the largest voting block in history. But one of the most unreliable voting blocks right. to show up and vote. You could If everyone showed up 
on the 26th, we could whoop, like shift Oklahoma politics in a huge way. And then for sure, I mean, th- that'll be a big thing, but you really got to show up in November. Like, I mean, both are important in different ways. You've got to get the best candidates out there. And then in November, you come back and elect them into that office. Okay. Everybody's saying, remember in November, but what do we say? See you soon in June. That's right. All right. So that brings us to the end of this episode. Remember, you can connect with us on Twitter and Instagram at Let's Fix This OK. Scott is at SC Nelson. Uh, I, Andy, uh, am at, at Andy OKC. You can also like our Facebook page at facebook.com slash let's fix this okay. Don't forget to uh, subscribe to the podcast and rate it. Give us all five stars right there and tell us why you like it. Um, and have some comments in there. Also, you can contact us now. We have a new email address that is podcast at let's fix this okay.org. If you have a suggestion, if you have feedback, um, anything, send it that way. If you're interested in sponsoring the podcast, please shoot us an email at podcast at letsfixthisok.org. We'd love to talk to you and find out what you're working with. Sign up for our newsletter on our website, read our blog, which we will soon start posting on again because I'm almost out of grad school and we have more free time. Scott's going to have something tomorrow for that. Uh, That's pretty exciting. As a reminder, um, our podcast is edited and produced by Scott and me. And let's pod this as a member of the Mostly Harmless Media Network based right here in Oklahoma. Our theme music is generously provided by the Sugar Free All-Stars. Let's Fix This is a nonpartisan, nonprofit organization who strives to educate and equip all of you Oklahomans to engage with your government in meaningful ways. We encourage you to get involved in any way that you can. And remember, decisions are made by those who show up. Thanks a lot.